Hi, this is Maya, and I'm co-host of the Cicada Story Slam with Annie Stewart. We um, set the podcast in a small town in Victoria, Australia, called Dalesford, where we have lots of progressive-thinking people, open-minded community. We run the Cicada Story Slam every third Thursday of the month at a local pub, and we have wonderful stories to share from our small town. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. As is tradition with these nights, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners, the Jara people, and we acknowledge all the stories that would have taken place over the years before us white fellas arrived. So, this is the third year for the cicada. We're hoping to grow it up a little bit, but I'm a little anxious at this stage of the night on how many storytellers we might get. So, we'll see how we go. But this is our third year, and for those who haven't been, my name's Annie Stewart. I'm, in fact, a storyteller by profession. But in my profession, I've dealt with myths and legends, folk tales, folklore. It's a different kind of thing. In the UK, that tradition's big. In America, it's more personal stories. But I've been to a few slams now, and we uh, decided to put in for some funding, and Regional Arts Victoria supported our first slam. The rest of the team, Kathy Watt, affectionately known as the door bitch. That's in the lo- loving terms, darling. And Lady on the Bell. Is she banging me off already? Okay. Uh, Kathy and I sat together and came up with the themes. It's always hard to know what might move people and what might inspire them, but we reckon we've covered enough different things and we hope to get in um, people involved. Anthony Bruzes. Ruzizi is our sound man. We had to have a meeting recently because in in our third year, somewhere between the first and the third year, our sound man changed. And I was like, I know Anthony, we talk every time. But I didn't know his background and we're going to hear a little bit about him from him later. Because many of you know who come to this night know that Petrus Spronk, a local elder of the tribe, am I allowed to say that now, elder? (laughs) What? We all went to your 80th. <laughs> we know. Very generously has been raising funds and donating money and Anthony will give us a bit of a rundown on what, it, um, on what we, we would like to buy. Myra O'Rell, of course, is social media, general vibe and... Um, general yeah, general vibe and organiser of words in winter. And when we first started, we incorporated our first into... Uh, the words in Winter Weekend, which was great. Many of you might remember the Mayor of the Shire, Rod May, dear friend of mine, that uh, we got to see the moth in New York. And after he died, we said, I said, we should have one of those slams. Rod would love that. And so the first year we handed out the Rod May Perpetual Trophy and we paid all of $2 for a little gold, you know, statuette. We'd, Glory was mainly the most thing. So on the cicada, all of our um, our advertising, we started off thanks to Juanita, who made our website, Local Stories Told by Locals. But we've decided to change it. And we're changing it because after the huge groundswell of voices we heard on Tuesday night... 
we're going to change it to giving voice to community because that seems to be something that's lacking. And we're going to have giving voice to community since 2018. <laughs> um, if any of you happened to be at the town hall when we did the first presentation, the first presentation was done. Peter Tindall, I see you here. Is he there? Who is one of the speakers that night? And they got up and so elegantly in front of the whole community shared their ideas about moving to sustainable life and the rules that were being changed, how they were disorientated and what needed to be do, done. So I have sent a personal letter to, I like to call them, the Bylaws 2 Collective and have invited them to come and tell some stories. Unfortunately, there was something else on tonight and we haven't got them. But one of the things that happens at all these slams is I get sort of anxious that we're not going to get enough storytellers. So I would like to think that, you know, we're, um, we might be able to organise the storytellers before. Always room for new storytellers, but it'd be lovely if we knew what was happening a little bit before. Um, we're about to announce the date, dates. We're going to have three workshops this year if you'd like to come. And I don't like to say it, but two people that attended those workshops have won the award. <laughs> so... They're at my place, which we call the Story House and Garden, and it's just to give people a sense of how a five-minute personal story goes. It has a little different structure, so you start in the action. I'll let you explain a little bit more about that, Maya, when we get to it. Um, we also decided there's been a lot of talk on Facebook about what's been happening in the last few weeks and that there's been a call for new councillors and people to step up. So we are going to uh, promote it and offer this as an opportunity this night, the Cicada, for anybody that thinks they'd like to throw their hat into the ring to come and tell a story and on another night we're going to have it that they might come and tell us a little bit about themselves. So we get people that we kind of know, you know. There would be a few councillors there that many of you mightn't have met before. So this, as we said, is a chance for giving voice to community and that might sometimes be the people that we're asking to represent us. So we're hoping to build our voice even stronger. Um, I think I've just about got to it. But I was going to invite Maya up to just give us a little bit of the rules of the cicada and how it runs. Thanks, Annie. Um, thanks to everyone for showing up. That's great. This is our first, first cicada of 2020, so we hope to see larger numbers and be able to have more storytellers to choose from. But even if we have one story, that's great too. I just want to talk about the stories so the idea is that it's a five-minute story. We are a little bit lenient and we'll let people go to six minutes. You'll get a bell that Kathy will, will ring at five minutes to just warn you if you haven't crafted it to five minutes already. Um, a reminder about the story is that you want to start in the action. You want to remember that something has to be at stake and you want to know the end of your story. So we're encouraging people in our third year to sort of lift our game a little, including me. I mean, all of us need to work on it. It's hard for me to come up and just do a story cold. I really need to, to work on it. But it's just um, been such a wonderful tool for people to connect to each other in this room and even outside of this room. Um, 
people talking about the Story Slam, and we're getting a little bit of excitement around it, and it is one of our only community events. So we encourage everyone to take some time to really think about the themes and, and work on their story. You are the driver of the story, and you should know your destination. That's the main thing. And we've sort of stolen a few things from the moth, uh, and you can learn these things at Annie's workshop. She'll help you to figure those things out. Uh, we are open mic storytelling competition. We're open to anyone with a five to six minute story. And uh, we usually do judges, but we're not going to do that tonight because there's so few. But if there are more stories, we'll have judging. Um, and we ask the judges to just give us the name of the winner and what they liked about the story. We also podcast the cicada and we'll Facebook Live it to include those people from home who can't get out for whatever reason, because we've had some um, people ask me to do that. And also, if you do tell a story, just please sign the release. And um, I think that's all. Is that all? For the moment. Sorry, we're just doing the house cleaning at the, beginner, at the beginning. Um, Stories are judged on sticking to a time frame, sticking to the theme, and having a story with conflict resolution. So thank you all for coming. We'd like to acknowledge that we are on Jajawarung land. We'll start with the wonderful Petrus Spronk. Thank you, Petrus. None of what Maya talked about is, is relevant to my stuff. <clears throat> if they give you lined paper, write the other way. <laughs> anyway, to the story. In the beginning was the word, and the word was, the word being lonely, looked around for another word, found it, and from this union, a third word was born. The three words enjoying this activity started to reproduce like rabbits and soon there were enough words to form a decent-sized sentence. This sentence with bits without any fuss, plus a full stop, divided into two, in turn became three, and it went on until a paragraph was created. This paragraph as part of the process surprised us by climbing on top of one another, of another lonely paragraph, and soon there were enough paragraphs to form a chapter. This joyful creation of words resulted in more and more chapters, so that in no time and as a result, there were enough chapters lined up in a specific order, one after the other, crawled between the covers, and voila, we got the first book. In turn, and as a consequence, the book got read, when, and when neighbor A heard that neighbor B got such a book, he wanted one as well. This created the need for more books which in turn resulted in many words needed to be brought into being. Many, new, many of those new and special books were looking for a place to stay. From this need, the first library was built. It also resulted in a new profession, that as the writer, as a storyteller. And this, dear friend, is what we are celebrating here once a month. The art of throwing words about in abundance. Once in a while, an artist comes along who, with a few deft moves, changes certain aspects of life forever. The artist arrives in town with a breath of, like a breath of fresh air, opens her bag of creative skills, and outrush colors, sounds, words, 
melodies, tales, illustrations, and many complex emotions. She uses these with great skill, plus a heart chock full of love, to create, create many wonderful events. One of which is the now well-established and very popular Cicada short story slam evening, an idea initiated by the artist in question, our own storytelling visit, Annie Stewart. <laughs> Each of these storytelling nights has been magically, magically colored by the generosity of spirit, the generosity of the Dalesford Hotel owners for allowing us the use of this wonderful space, the generosity of the storytellers who would create and deliver their works, always great imagination and originality. The generosity of the audience, so important. Their applause reassured those who have told their story and encouraged those waiting to read, plus those making up their minds if they should. The generosity of the sound man, Anthony, who tirelessly brings his equipment for us to use. It is a privilege to have these evenings because what is really happening besides this wonderful literary exchange is the absolute magic and wonder of a community sharing sharing their storytelling skills, their love for words, stories, and on occasions, deep and intimate emotions. For this to succeed, we need the goodwill and love of each and everyone involved. Those who have attended these evenings know these qualities exist in absolute ab abundance in our community. There's more than enough power, there's more than enough to power many more magic storytelling nights. Nights of laughter, intensity, generosity, love, and other excitements. Very special and full of wonder nights. Nights where wo words frolic about with abandon, where spelling mistakes won't be detected, nor matter. Nights of bending the truth and enhancing reality. Nights where we color the black and white facts of everyday life. Nights where the writer indulges his or her love for, for words and the audience wished it could do the same, and at times finds that it can. In the beginning was the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was any. Kidding. How very lovely of you, Petrus, to say that. And as you know, this is what I do for a living, but it's quite different when you're telling myths and legends. And, you know, I know them really well, but a personal story is a different thing to do. And I have to acknowledge you as well when uh, we were all at your big birthday party talking about the arts and what it's like working in the arts, because it can be a roller coaster. Sometimes, you know, lots of jobs are coming in, sometimes. Nothing much is happening. So it takes a lot of stamina to sort of keep going in that world. And if I had a story of beginnings today, I'd have to start with the catastrophic fires that happened over summer because I had two weeks away with my granddaughter. I'm a grandmother now and I was having so much fun playing with her. She's only two and a half and playing with her and and swimming and at the beach and reading books and doing lovely things and sometimes you like to put those things up on Facebook just to sort of show off but 
With everybody in the depths of despair, I didn't feel like sharing it. But for me, the beginning is of a new world order. From that moment, I've thought we cannot just rest on our laurels. I want to lift my game with my storytelling. I want to make sure that we have more workshops for people to attend. And I want to help our community to make sure that we do all have a voice. To see the amazing respect and work done by locals um, getting ready for those council meetings was just extraordinary. So just remember that this is where the community gets to meet. We started so many years ago, Maya, when we thought we, we were bitter and twisted. I think you'd have to say that. <laughs> when the Live Love Life, $400,000 was wasted, you know, and here we struggle along doing parades down the main street, words in winter's Swiss Italian festa, but things have changed. This is beginning. This is new world order. This is time for Dalesford community to make sure that we can show people what it's like to live on a sustainable, in a sustainable way on gently on the earth. So thank you so much for coming. Yeah. Um, I'm pleased to invite a new teller up to the stage. And just when I was getting so nervous, it was Andrew, wasn't it? Andrew Cow. So could I invite him up to the stage? This is a story about um, beginnings for me about my first day of school. But I didn't really think about my first day of school until my car broke down. And as I was waiting for the RACV to turn up and they said I'd be an hour. You know, I was sitting there under the the highway structure watching the sunset and thinking about waiting and how much time I've spent waiting. And I thought back to my first day of school when my mum had told me that I needed to wait in a certain spot. And I got to this spot because being new to the school, we're let out early. And so I got there and I waited and the other preppy kids' mums came along and took them away and, um, yeah, I was still waiting there. And then the bell went and... Uh, the big kids started coming out and the smelly bus came out in front and chug, 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 chug. And some of the other mums came and took the kids away and I was still there waiting. The bus went off, drove up the street and I was left there waiting. You know, they did a study about five-year-olds and about whether they, um, how well they could hold themselves back from something. They gave them an offer. They said, if you don't eat this marshmallow, then you'll get two marshmallows. And, and some kids were in this room and they ate it straight away. But others... Others imagined it was a picture of a marshmallow and 
they didn't eat it. One kid was able to hold off for like 20 minutes. Well, after about an hour waiting for the RACV, I ring up only to find out, oh, yeah, it's a really bad night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're trying to do our best, but it's probably going to be at least another hour. (sighs) So I walk up the street and get some food. You know, I had some strategies then about how to entertain myself. Yeah, I think about other times when I've waited when later in primary school when my brother, younger brother was at school with me and dad said, oh yeah, yeah, he'll he'll turn up, he'll turn up and he didn't and after about half an hour I'd had enough of waiting so I knew the way, even although we'd moved suburb, I knew the way, it was kind of down level road, down to the corner and then across cutting through a little park and then over the bridge with the creeks and we could look and see if there was anything in there. There was a few minor birds. There was always minor birds where I grew up in Sydney. And then we got over the other side and started up the road and there was the familiar car, um, the Peugeot 404 and the sunburst orange. My dad pulled up and jumped out of the door. He looked very worried. He was glad that he'd found us and he was worried that we weren't going to make it. Yeah, I was worried my mum wasn't going to make it too. I was, I was there waiting. All the kids had gone, the bus had gone. And then I heard the car, that very same car, the chug, chug, chug of its sound as it drove out, the, the, drove out from the school and turned left and went up the hill. And I saw that sunburst orange as it rose up the the hill away from me. Yeah, my dad was a teacher at that school. And what had happened was my my mum had gone into town with her um, sister. And the train had broken down on the way back. I wasn't to know that. There wasn't mobile phones back then. And I, um, yeah, I guess my mum must have eventually turned up, just like the RACB man, um, and must have been profuse kind of, oh, sorries, that. But I'm kind of guessing that I was pretty upset with my mum, and uh, I think I kind of held back a level of resentment to her about that and in a way I projected that onto my father so when he was late it was like well my dad's always late it was his fault sort of thing but really it had been my mum who'd left me on that first day well back to those kids in that study We know about the strategies they used in that study about imagining the marshmallow was a cloud or an invisible wall or in a picture 
so it wasn't real. I can only imagine in the strategies I kind of handled and did while I waited for, for my mum to turn up. But I realise it's not so much about that f- event, but about understanding and forgiving her for that happened. It was out of her control. And there wasn't any way to get a message through to my father. And he wasn't to know that I needed to be picked up. And so I realised many, many years later that what was I waiting for? And maybe I was waiting to forgive. But it was like now. Now was the beginning. Now was the time to forgive. And with that, the RACV man turned up and got the car going again and I could make my way home safely. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. A range of stories and images were in my head. The little boy, the thought of kids having to wait and that kind of experiment, but really a story about your mother and forgiveness and the beginning of that all for you. So that was quite a complex story. So thank you for that. Many of you who attend regularly here know that we have a few regular tellers that we love to hear from. And tonight I would like to invite Toby Symes up to the stage. In honour of my fa- a black and tan, my father taught me to drink these. Nowadays, if the bar person is less than 50, you have to tell them what a black and tan is. It's a drink from the old days. Half Guinness, oh, half stout, half beer. Lovely stuff. You have to tell them at the supermarket. It's vegetable wine. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and somebody has to tell me how to drink without spilling. But, um, <laughs> beginnings. Beginnings. A bit of a tricky theme. Where do I begin? Uh, where do I, I suppose it depends which way you're coming. If you're coming this way, I probably begin right here. Or maybe at the tips of my toes. Somebody behind me, it's an opposite thing. You know, um, I begin at the tips of my fingers, but on the other hand, I begin at the point that receives the information with the tips of my fingers. Do we begin on the inside or do we begin on the outside? It's impossible to answer. And the reason is that there are, of course, no actual beginnings. We all know this more or less instinctively. The idea of a beginning is a furphy, like like the beer in that black and tan, actually. Um, because all that is, all that will be, is the child of that infinite womb, the past. And it's a continuance, not a beginning. And since every beginning is the end of something else, every ending is the beginning of something else, which is why Mary Queen of Squat, Scots... Squat. Mary Queen of Scots, she was, she was super fit. She was never out of the gym. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's those squats for you, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, Mary Queen of Squats. I'm going to start saying that from now on. Um, she had embroidered on her throne, on ma fin, c'est ma commencement. In my end is my beginning. Which is a very Catholic principle or a very religious principle. And I, in thinking about beginnings, realized every single moment's a beginning. You know, time is a series of waves that breaks constantly on consciousness. 
and will only cease when consciousness ceases. It's, that's the essence of consciousness. And um, the only things that are without beginning, I think are the only things that will ever be free of time. To be without a beginning is, suggests the idea of being without an end, and so time is irrelevant. But we, have, we perceive beginnings because our consciousness arrives at a certain point. And um, that is a ceaseless process of beginnings, e instantaneously, constantly, you know, eternal epiphany. Um, and we find that weighty sometimes. It's, it's almost too much. We're overwhelmed by it, which is one of the reasons that we, for instance, drink alcohol, because reality needs mediation. Um, and uh, at least mine does. I, I don't mean to speak for all of you, but I, I, I certainly find that for me it does. But I... I did want to tell an actual story rather than standing here blathering forever about vague first-year philosophy <laughs> on, on the you know, this Swedenborgian structure of time stuff, um, which, I believe me, I could do for a long time. I, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. I've spent, I've spent my life, you know. Anyway, um, like you do. And the story I wanted to tell you begins, not very far from here, in... No, no, don't mention this to the staff here. The other pub, the Royal. Okay, okay I'd love to say it was the Dallas, but it wasn't. It was the Royal, because we all drank in the Royal back then. When, back when I was a pub goer, after high school, uh, I wasn't a drinker. I didn't start drinking until I was almost 23, but I'd sit there and drink Coca-Cola. or I'd get high on Coca-Cola, actually. Um, and, and then I'd have that terrible sugar crash afterwards, you know. And it was like being a drunk, <laughs> but on Coca-Cola. Anyway, um, bizarre. But uh, I used to drink there. And one of the other regulars there, there, there were many, it was a real hive, was an old fellow called Vernon Rice. And Vernon Rice, which is a great name, Vernon Rice was a very much older gentleman who had been a philosophy lecturer at Melbourne University. <laughs> it's a symposium, alcohol philosophy. And Vernon was very interested in me because Vernon was one of those unresolvedly unopenly gay people from that generation where it was very difficult to be gay. And where even if you had more or less accepted about yourself, you still find it very difficult. To, uh, unless you had decided to just go, you know, balls out, I don't care. And there were those people. But Vernon wasn't one of them. Vernon was repressed. Um, and he was an alcoholic. And he meant very well. And he was a strongly believing Catholic. Um, so his life was a sort of hell, which he wore with a smile and with friendliness. Um, he wanted to be beautiful. He greatly believed in beauty. He was a Platonist. He adored Plato. He talked to me. He was the first person to really talk to me seriously about Plato. And the first and, and the most compelling believer in Plato I've met, I've met people who've talked a lot about Plato who've talked me away from Plato. And I have come to the view eventually that Plato is one of the great bad guys of human history. Despite being an exquisite writer, just a wonderful, read Plato for the sheer beauty of his ideas and his language. Uh, if you can learn ancient Greek, learn ancient Greek to do it. I haven't done that. Uh, they tell me it's better. And I believe it. It's well worth learning a language to be able to read a great author in the original, I'm sure. But I'm Australian, so I only speak English. Um, and because we're lazy as a nation, we are. We ride on the sheep's back. Let the sheep do the work. 
Anyway, Vernon used to sit there in the world. And I'd see him every so often, every week or two. I'd go in and he'd be there and his eyes would light up and I'd come in because I was young and male and, you know, reasonably pretty, I guess. I mean, I, you know, the way I read it, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm totally deleting myself, but that's the way I felt. Oh, really, already? And <laughs> Vernon... Maybe, maybe I'll ignore the bell. Maybe, maybe I'll just keep going and, and give up on the idea of winning tonight. And yeah, I think I will. So Vernon, who was made fun of constantly, I mean, he had a toupee, and he'd get very drunk, and he'd sit there and pass out in a chair, and his toupee would slide halfway down his face. And people would stand around laughing at him. I mean, stand around in the half circle laughing at this old philosophy professor who had moved to Dalesford, and everyone knew he was gay. You know, I mean, this town, you'd walk in the door, they don't know, um, because they couldn't wait to pick a target. That's how, very much how it was. And, um, and I used to not laugh at Vernon, but I used to sort of think, oh, strange, old gay guy you know, who's, who likes me and likes talking philosophy. At the same time, I'm fascinated because who else talks about philosophy? And he could see that I had been philosophically undernourished. I was the sort of person who had a bent that way, but I'd gone to school in Dalesford, and even though I'd grown up in the house with 4,000 books, I'd been, like I said, I'm lazy, I'm Australian. I hadn't read them. I'd read bits and pieces. I'd pick them up and read them for half an hour, and then I'd go on with something else. Whereas Vernon was thorough. He was schooled. He knew his school. He was a Catholic neoplatonist, and he believed that there was a heaven after death, and he believed that the Eucharist was the flesh of Christ and that the wine was the blood of Christ, and that transubstantiation took place literally, not figuratively, not imaginatively, but literally in the mouth when you received those things. And he believed that despite his guilt about being a gay man, his love <laughs> of God and Christ would get him over the threshold. He really hoped it anyway. And he hoped it for me. And he tried to convince me he spent a long time. And I'd grown up lonely as an isolate. Thanks. Um, as Lao Tzu said of time, how can one waste that which is infinite? Um, but, um, and I'd sit there and I got tempted. You know, the idea of the communion. The, and he talked a lot about the laity. He wasn't so much a big fan of the hierarchy, or well, of the hieratic hierarchy of the church. He loved the Pope. Um, but he, you know, he was bitchy about the bishops and the archers. He knew all their names. He knew who they were. He could tell you what they'd done at this party and that party. And, you know, he, he loved it. He was an old gay guy. He loved bitching about the bishops and the archbishops. And he was quite funny in that way. Um, but anyway, I spent a long time after that, you know, because I wanted to be open-minded. And I, I wanted to believe that I was above such things. My intellectual pride told me, I can't believe in God. You can't prove God. This is all nonsense. And the idea that the Catholic Church has something to say, yet my ancestry is Catholic. And I'm an ancestor worshipper. And in a way, knowing Vernon, a hundred yards from here, during that period, was a beginning for me because it was the be beginning of a very, very long tussle in my character between three, four great forces. One, my desire to be in the communion, the Catholic, that is the universal brotherhood of men, which is what he was talking about, men and women, though in his case, I think he probably emphasized men. Um, my desire to be free of all intellectual delusion, to not believe in any kind of a God, anything I couldn't prove, anything that seemed like old-fashioned nonsense. My desire to go back to the Greeks, which I saw as the beginning of my tradition, 
and stick with them and throw over this Jewish invasion of ideas that took over the, that took over the franchise, the Roman Empire, and this Jewish cult, Christianity, which took over the Roman Empire. I didn't want to know anything about it. I, I despised it on certain levels. I saw there's a syncretic religion and inherently fanatic at that point. I'm not saying I do now, but that was how I saw it then. And the other great force in my character, which is laziness, to not want to do anything, to not want to change in any way, to not be bothered. And they've gone round and round in circles for years. And really the introduction of that idea that I could intellectually take seriously the idea of the communion, intellectually take seriously the idea that the Eucharist was actually the, fle the flesh of a murdered 33-year-old Jewish man who died 2,000 years ago for our sins, capital F, capital O, capital S, um, because I liked Vernon, because I felt Vernon's humanity, because <laughs> he was such a clear example of what Catholicism is actually about, which is this human struggle to be greater than our natures. And I feel now at 56 that I have finally resolved that struggle very largely. And I don't need to bore you with what conclusion I came to on the subject, and I won't. Um, it doesn't matter. I've got mine. You'll have yours. But when I thought about beginnings tonight, and I thought, about what's the, because, because this conclusion has only come to me very recently, that's where a lot of it ran back to. It ran back to that place just down the road. And a, a man who died alone, a man who died alone in, in many, many ways, a rejected person. Um, he was despised. He was rejected, as Handel wrote in that. Anyway, um, that's the beginning I wanted to talk about. His end was the beginning of something for me. Thank you. See Hepburn Shire, we don't always go by the rules. We have people that come up here and blatantly don't do what they're told. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I have to say, when I began storytelling, I saw someone out of Ballarat University where I was studying librarianship. An older woman just like looked like a little granny and she'd just stand there with her hands together and just in this very gentle way she would tell stories. I've been all through the UK and I've seen amazing storytellers like Ben Haggerty with the Yo-Yo Ma Orchestra telling stories of the Silk Road. I have been so lucky with the storytellers. But I always thought when I grew up I wanted to be a storyteller just like Dave Allen, that comedian. And he always just sort of raconteured and he often tossed around the ideas and conflicts with religion and philosophy. So I had in mind his storytelling tonight when I heard you, Toby. So thank you for your story. It's now a great pleasure to introduce another new storyteller tonight. And um, Peter Tyndall and I, I reckon we've been in town quite a long time, almost the same time, and we've turned up to many events trying to promote the arts. And I don't know if you remember that Paquita Lummercraft that arrived in town many years ago, and we sat there... The economic development officer wanted to see how she could use the arts and we were sitting next to each other raising our eyebrows. 
But Peter is a much-respected artist. He has a lovely, uh, quiet nature about himself, but don't underestimate the power of this man. Peter Tyndall, please come up and tell your story. Petra sent me an email at about four o'clock this afternoon letting me know that this was on and uh, here we are. Um, I, I'm responding to Petrus who as always goes right to the core and, uh, and anything else is in it. Once we establish the core then uh, we can uh, tell tales and, and so forth but to the core. So and then understanding that the theme tonight is beginning, or as Toby would have it, beginninglessness. Um, <laughs> and, and Toby, endlessness. <laughs> 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 on, on my drawings in recent years, and I draw every day, I carry a little Spyrex uh, notepad with me, which I've left there with my notes, um, so I do at least half a dozen drawings every day and uh, that, that, uh, I'm very blessed to be con uh, uh, constantly having what we might call ideas or little things that seem worth jotting down and just on beginningless and endlessness uh, for some years now uh, to either side of, of drawings I put the alpha sign and the omega sign so that whatever, we, whatever I draw is somewhere between the beginning and the end and uh, so tonight when I, br I bring my blank uh, board in for the Theatre of the Actors of Regard, and that's us, uh, its, in it's initials are T-A-R, so it could just as well be, uh, to use the word that uh, Petrus used in the invitation, to speak or to be uh, a member of the audience. So rather than Regard, we uh, could be Theatre of the Actors of, of Audition or of the Auditory. Uh, so we're talking about sound, um, but at the same time we're talking about the written word. Uh, I want to talk, uh, uh, make some comments about the New Zealand artist Colin McCann. Uh, I went to a symposium uh, two weekends ago, and there were, um, it's a hundred years since he was born. That's a beginning, and we we mark centuries and so forth. We have ideas of units of celebration. Um, he was born in 1919, died in 1987. He stopped painting in 1980, I think, or perhaps it was 82. Um, and for the last five years, let nobody into his studio. So his final works uh, were found after his death. Um, in he struggled with relig religion all his life. Um, he read poetry. He knew the poets. He was interested in theatre. Um, and he was a thinker. And his, his paintings were an attempt, a bit like uh, we've just heard, to deal with the, 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 um, the mythologies, the stories, the, the ideas that have come largely through Christianity. But he was from New Zealand. And uh, slowly over the years, he introduced Maori uh, myths and uh, 
and locales into his work and tried to be an expression of the place that he was, that he was trying to understand and to understand his own role in. Very early works were, um, there were landscapes and so forth, but the ones that are now most seriously regarded now were religious works and uh, to an untutored eye, even to a tutored eye, we might say they were naive or they were in a naive manner. So they were images of, uh, of, of a woman and a child and, uh, and a text would be written on it. Um, Mary compared to a glass of water, the child Jesus, to a lamp. So analogy, large thoughts, simple expressions. Uh, quite a few of these early paintings had what we would call, would describe something like um, bu- bubble texts, uh, which he claimed he got from Rinso packets. That sort of thing was his idea. He would see someone in a bubble saying, "By Rinso," <laughs> and so he had he had um, uh, the Virgin Mary and Christ and so forth uh, saying extraordinary things. Isaiah, help me, and so forth. Um, and it, perhaps in his mid, middle period in the 70s, I think it was, he, he said, and it's been much quoted, I will need words. Uh, so he'd come to the point that as a visual artist, uh, and the visual arts uh, to many is, is, is not writing, but colour and form and that which perhaps cannot be written. People used to say paintings speak for themselves. Uh, We imagine a bubble coming out the side and perhaps there's a text put inside and there's an audio track as well. He he realised he he absolutely fundamentally needed to write in paint on his paintings. I will need words. When when he died, um, his mind was gone... He was destroyed by alcoholism. He cannot be regarded as less than a tragedy. Someone who reached so high, who fell so low. There was one work face down on the floor and had been there for five or six years. And half of... So by this stage, everything is reduced to black and white. All images have gone. It is only text. And it's a text from Ecclesiastes... Um, Ecclesiastes is unlike many of the other books of the Bible very interesting uh, problematic and his own struggles are reflected in the texts about his, his, um, his struggle for control and so forth when that painting was found and turned over it, it was divided as so many of his paintings were with a, a dot, dots along the top and dots down the middle an expression of the tower cross a horizontal and a vertical Brief text at the top, a text down the left-hand side. The right-hand side was begun and then the rest was the, the black primed base still there. In the end, we do not know whether he came to decide he, that he no longer needed words or whether it remained unfinished. Thank you.
Thank you so much, Peter. That was a bit different from us, but to have your story between the Alpha and the Omega fit the bill of beginnings and to hear that story of that artist was really incredible. In fact, one of the things from Tuesday night that stays with me and probably was a highlight when you talking to the councillors asking your question, how are we going to determine what is unsightly and ungainly? I think it was a bit above their kenning anyway. But thank you for your story tonight. Now, we come to the end of the people that have signed up, but has anybody felt inspired to have a go at telling a story? Okay, go now. Young Maz has had a go before and she's bravely come back again and is going to tell us another one. Thank you, dear girl. Thank you. Hello again. My name's Maz. Um, Hello. Um, I'm just going to tell a quick story. I was raffling my mind about beginnings and about how common beginnings are and Oh, there's just always, like what Toby was saying, there's beginnings and beginnings and beginnings. I think because I'm 20, I was like, oh, whoa, phew. yeah, I totally have been thinking about it. I'm in my 20s. But um, my most recent beginning has been a really nice one. It's, um, I have gone through the whole, so I'm 26 and I've gone through the whole kind of space from your parents and then kind of re-seeing them as adults. Um, most of you probably have kids who have spoken and so my beginning um, started kind of two nights ago being like, oh, mum's WhatsApp calling me. I don't want to answer. Like, oh, I haven't answered these calls. She's going to be like, have you followed up that Centrelink letter? I don't know. You probably all would have been through that. Being like, there are bills at home. And I was like, fuck, 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 fuck. Um, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. So I live by myself now. So I was like, I'm kind of like an adult. Um <laughs> And um, I answered and mum was getting real techie. She was, we were, we were video calling. Um, and I was like, mum, how's your day? And usually it's just like, yeah, it's fine. I'm with your father. Um, but she goes, and so my mum's a nurse at a, um, at a nursing home. And so, and she grew up on a farm. It's, and so in my family, we kind of got, um, you'll be right and like, like if you're feeling a bit down or whatever dad would always say like he's Irish he would say like have half a teaspoon of concrete and harden the fuck up so that was kind of the vibe that I was getting so I wasn't expecting too much of like emotional like delvulge don't know what that word is from mum and um I go yeah how are you going and she actually said to me I've had a bit of a shit one and then um, we were supposed to be having my older sister's birthday celebrations on Friday. Sorry, I'm not following any structure. This is just going what's inside my head. So I hope you're all following. Um, and she was like, but I've actually got a funeral to go to on Friday. And I was like, oh, like I didn't think you usually went to people's funerals from work. Um, and she was like, yeah. And then she actually got a bit teary. And I've actually never seen my mum cry my whole life. And so I was like, whoa. And so... This is the beginning, I guess, so, and it's so fresh that I'm like, oh my God, um, of mum and I's kind of real life emotional contact. And it's so, this beginning for mum and her sharing it with me, she had a, um, a patient and his wife had passed away a few weeks ago and her name was Rosa. 
And so mum had had quite a close relationship with their family and mum goes above and beyond for any. She's one of those nurses that when you have a family member in hospital, you're like, you want this lady to be on your side. She's so onto it. Um, and then Gunter, he, um, he was Rose's wife and he was also in the nursing home. And mum for his birthday last week on Wednesday, this is kind of when I got the first inkling. I was like, whoa, mum does have so much passion and love. You know, usually when you speak to your parents, it's like, oh, I'm at work. Like, what do you need? Blah, blah, blah. Like, I know I'm 26, but she's always going to be my mum. And um, she said to me, like, last Wednesday, she was like, oh, she didn't really want to tell me. She was like, oh, I had to go to the shops late last night to get an avocado and she made a little card um, because Gunter's Gunter's favourite food were avocado. avocado. So she made like a little sign for him that said happy birthday and she gave it to him. And then um, during the week, just this week gone by, she at the end of every shift she told me, yeah, when we were FaceTiming, it's so crazy. Um, at the end of every shift she would go and say goodbye to Gunther and just say see you later like make sure they do this that and whatever um, and then that night when she got home from her shift she got a call from the doctor on duty and um, he called and he knew kind of how mum's relationship with this family just from the workplace and mum's passion which I so often forget about because she's my mum which is ridiculous and um and he said, Gunther has said he doesn't want to receive his treatments tonight. Um, and it was his birthday that day and he was full of energy and he was up and that was when his mum gave, gave him the avocado and he'd spent time with his family. And so mum, the next morning she woke up at 7 o'clock, she wasn't working and she went straight into work and had the morning with Gunther and then he passed away that day. And... Yeah, so that's my new beginning, seeing that my another beautiful reminder that my mum is such a powerful human and that I am a part of her. And so, yeah, thank you. That was really delightful, Maz, and you think you sort of weren't going anywhere, but you did slowly take us along that path. I knew my destination. I know. That's it, because, you know, you and your mum now, this sort of different sort of connection you're going to have forevermore really was a beginning for you. So thank you very much. Judging the competition and the best story on the night just started when we were trying to... um, get started and it was just a bit of fun when we had the Rod Murray sort of story slam but we'll keep with the tradition for a little while because it's nice for people to hear that their story did well and so every uh, week when we start people come in and we just pick randomly two people out of the audience and ask them to judge and they thought tonight there were two stories that stood out they couldn't uh, decide on but they liked the stories and their connection to the theme of beginnings and so Andrew who down the back and Maz if you'd like to come up so we can give you a round of applause these were their favorite stories tonight
Hi, I'm Zara, and you're listening to the Cicada Story Slam. The Cicada Story Slam is in a country town in Victoria named Dalsford, and it may be a small place, but the community and people are great, and I, if I don't say so myself, the stories are even better. I would like to acknowledge Annie Stewart and Maya Irel, who made all this possible, and of course everyone who helps out behind the scenes, and you, for listening. If you have a wild story and you're a part of our community... Please feel free to come to the Cicada Story Slam and share your amazing stories because we'd love to hear them. And the story takes you there. Don't know why, you don't know where. But the story takes you there. Take refuge from the gloom Pellegrini's Cafe 8 a.m. Where the postcard's old and warm Their edges frayed and torn Paint pictures of a time way back when And the story takes You don't know where But the story takes Handed down Stories passed around Everybody's got a story They can tell Stories to make sense In this old world's defense Just make sure You say it well And the story takes you Don't know where Are you Strong enough To take that damn And let the story Take Take 